0: Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Daniel chapter three, we're gonna pick up our study where we left off last week, we're in Daniel three. If this is your first time among us, we're so glad you're here, wherever you're joining us from. We're doing a verse-by-verse study through the book of Daniel this year. In Daniel chapter three, here's gonna be the big takeaway. Listen very carefully, we will all walk through fiery trials in life, sometimes not for doing anything wrong, but sometimes for doing everything right. Now listen, we have all made dumb decisions, Two of us? Everybody else is perfect, perfect church. You guys are amazing. Awesome. Hey, we've all had moments of dumbness, uh, maybe or stupidity. We're honestly, we just set an area of our life on fire, kind of a self-lit fire. Family, finances, relationship, friendship, something you did wrong, and you kind of now you're walking through a fire that you lit all by yourself. I had a moment like that a while back. I just want to. Full transparency, just so you know, I've done it too. So I had several brush piles in my yard that was on my things-to-do list. I need to burn these and get rid of these. And so a while back, I saw an opportunity. Seemed like the wind was right. The problem is I was in the moment, kind of impulsive. I needed to have one or two more guys there to help me. So I light these brush piles on fire, and it wasn't long thereafter I realized, bad decision. Bad decision. Bad decision. Because everything around these brush piles started to catch fire, and the wind kind of picked up a little bit, and it was spreading into the woods next to me. I'm literally thinking, I have set a forest fire. I have set the woods on fire, my neighbor's woods and now I'm kind of in a panic and this thing is getting out of control on me. So I have the sweatshirt on, I run to my pond, I dunk it in the pond to get it wet and for the next 30-40 minutes of my life I am frantically fighting this fire trying to beat it out. It was like the biggest most amazing cardio workout I've ever had in my life. I mean I'm exhausted trying to keep this fire. And control, because I'm literally thinking, guys, you hear about them all out west. Somebody does something dumb and sets 50,000 acres of woods on fire. I'm thinking, that's me. I'm going to be on the news for all the wrong reasons. Neighbor sets woods on fire. And so I'm working for all I got. And guys, I'm telling you, this was all that's left of my sweatshirt. There it is. There's the proof. I have become a firefighter, but me and my sweatshirt put the fire out, the wood survived next to me. That's right, that's right. But I am trying to tell you, if you don't walk with Jesus and make God-centered decisions, this would be, in the end, what part of your life might look like. See, here's the reality in life. We're all going to walk through fires, the fiery trials of life. But do you understand, sometimes it's not for doing anything wrong. Sometimes it's for doing everything right. Meaning sometimes you're gonna walk through the fire and you're gonna be in the fiery furnace, not being out of the will of God, but rather because you're in the will of God. And that, you see, is the practical application of Daniel chapter three. Now, I've told you recently there's way too much to do in the book of Daniel solely for Sunday morning. So I've done another lesson, an extra edition in a studio of Daniel chapter three. Did you know that Daniel chapter three is actually a very prophetic chapter? You have three Hebrews in the fiery furnace. They would not bow down to an image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had made. And did you know that Revelation 13 is directly related to Daniel chapter 3, that Daniel 3 is a prophetic foreshadow. In Revelation 13, there is an image of a man that is made in the future tribulation, and all the world must worship the image under penalty of death. And in Daniel chapter 3, there is an image to a man that is made, and the entire world must worship this image under penalty of death. It's a prophetic foreshadow of things to come. You can hear all about that in this lesson. It'll be on our sermon page tomorrow. But I want you to understand maybe you're new and haven't really studied Daniel before. This is a very famous Sunday school story. If you grew up in Sunday school, you've heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and under the bed I go. <laughs> His friend Abednego. And they would not bow down to this image. They wouldn't bow down to this idol. And so Nebuchadnezzar the king puts them for a punishment into the fiery furnace. A very, very famous story in the Bible. It's 605 B.C. when Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, get carried away as captives into Babylon from the city of Jerusalem. Now, in Daniel 2, as we ended last time, you remember Daniel had only been there year one. And he is kind of a magi in making. He's kind of on the JV. He's still in training. But Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and none of his wise men could tell him his dream and the interpretation. So Daniel receives the revelation from his God that is in heaven. He tells Nebuchadnezzar his dream with its interpretation, and immediately, Nebuchadnezzar gives him a promotion. Remember, he and these other Hebrew children had been brought back to Babylon to re-educate them and indoctrinate them in the way and world of the Babylonians so that Nebuchadnezzar could then use them as a part of his administration and he could use them then to kind of govern their own people. That was a very common practice in ancient days as kings would conquer a foreign people. They would deport them and bring them back to their land, hopefully make these Hebrews into Babylonians. Now there's about 20 years in between Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 3. These are no longer Hebrew children, no longer teenagers. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are probably somewhere in their mid-30s, and they've been serving now within the king's administration for around 20 years. You need to know what's going on. So in 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came the first time to Jerusalem, but he comes back a second time in 597, where he deported more of the Hebrews back to Babylon. And then in the third time, finally, in 586 B.C., he brings the complete destruction on Jerusalem for the last time, and he completely destroys the Hebrew temple. In these ancient days, as a foreign king would conquer another people, in his mind, he had not only conquered the people, but he'd conquered their God. And in this case, he forgot all about the dream in Daniel chapter 2, where Daniel interprets it, and he makes this great declaration that the God of Daniel is the God of gods, and he is Lord of kings. All of a sudden now, he has forgotten all about that. He is on top of the world in Daniel chapter 3. He is the uncontested monarch of ancient history. And he starts to do what all emperors eventually do, play God. Like, you know, I've conquered everybody else and all of their gods, so <laughs> yeah, it kind of makes me a god. And so in Daniel chapter 3, what does he do? He makes an image. And notice Daniel doesn't use the term idol, though it was an idol. He uses the term image because God wants you to connect Daniel 3 to Revelation 13 where there's this image. The entire world is demanded to worship under penalty of death. Nebuchadnezzar makes this image. It's 90 feet tall. It's laid with gold. One can only imagine the beauty of it. And he takes it out on the plains of Dora, we're told in the text. He doesn't keep it in Babylon because the walls of Babylon were like 300 feet tall. And so he gets it out of the city, where the skyline wouldn't minimize this thing. He gets it out on the plains, think western Kansas, where it could have been seen for miles. And on the plains, something 90 feet tall looks about three times higher. And then he brings all of his officials, thousands of them, from the faraway stretches of this kingdom back to Babylon to dedicate this image. It says of every language and nation and tribe and people, he's unifying his kingdom now with a common religion. And that religion is man's deification. He's made an image to himself. And we're told in the text that he has praise bands positioned within all these thousands of people around this image. And when they hear the music begin to play, they've got to bow down and worship this image. Or they're going to be thrown alive into this fiery furnace and burnt alive. Let's pick it up right there in Daniel 3 and verse 7. You ready for this? Here we go. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, when I think of what's going on in Daniel chapter 3 in my mind's eye, I picture this right here that goes on today every single day in the city of Mecca. If you know anything about Islam, you know that once in their lifetime, at a minimum, every Muslim wants to take a pilgrimage to Mecca where they're going to worship at the Kaaba. And inside this building called the Kaaba is a black stone that is very sacred to Muslims. In fact, they believe it came from God. It came down from the heavens. And what you're seeing here in this picture Looks like, from our vantage point, maybe black paving stones or black bricks or stepping stones, or I should say white, not black, but white stone. These are people. Every white dot you see is a person, and notice what they're all doing in unison. Every single one of these people, tens of thousands and thousands and thousands of people have all bowed down to the Kaaba at the same time. Now imagine in this picture tens of thousands of men and women, they have all bowed down at the same time, worshiping this black stone. Imagine all of a sudden three men are seen standing. Can you imagine? That is what is going on in Daniel chapter 3. Tens of thousands have now gathered around this image, this idol. In fact, historians tell us the plains of Dura might have held 300,000 people from around the world. Each of them would have been able to see that golden image that stretched 90 feet into the air. And when they hear the music, they're all supposed to bow down and worship that image. In the middle of these thousands of people bowing down stand three men. Who would not bow down? Now, the reality is some of us are thinking, well, I would never bow down to a black stone, like seriously, or I would never bow down to a golden totem pole. But do you understand that anything we put in the place of God becomes an idol? Anything you serve where you ought to be serving God, anything you sacrifice for where you ought to be sacrificing for God, anything you love more than you love God becomes an idol. So let me ask you, what is your black stone? See, none of us are exempt. Every single one of us have bowed down and served things where we should have been bowing down and serving God alone. And one can only imagine what this must have been like for these three men. Imagine this picture, tens of thousands of people all crammed together in this tight space, and everybody else is bowing down, but three men are standing up. Now, the Chaldeans, we're told in the text, comes to Nebuchadnezzar, and they say, Nebuchadnezzar, king, there are three Hebrews of the captives of Judah. They're not bowing down to the image, which you may. They're, they're, they're disrespecting you. They're dissing you, king. Now, remember what happened 20 years before, thereabouts, you have these four Hebrews taken from captivity in Jerusalem back to this Babylonian city. Daniel interprets the dream, and immediately he gets a big promotion. These same Chaldeans have been burning with envy and jealousy now for 20 years, and they see their opportunity. King, these Hebrews are dissing you. What are you going to do about it? And this is what it says as they bring these three Hebrews before the king. Look at what it says in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, is it true Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and if you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. In other words, he's saying, hey, guys, listen, Maybe you didn't understand what we were doing. I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. You know, um, maybe the Chaldeans are actually just jealous of you, and that's what's really going on here. You're like, yeah, I, I know they're jealous, bunch of people, and I promoted you guys, and maybe that's what this is about. Look, this can all go away. Like, if you'll just bow down, I'll look the other way, and we'll just act like this never happened, okay? All right, there's the ultimatum. But look at what it says. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God who will deliver you from my hands? He has apparently forgotten all about Daniel's God and these three Hebrews that some years earlier he had confessed and declared that he is the God of all gods and the Lord of all kings. No, he is feeling like he's on top of the world. He is beating his chest like, you know, I have conquered everybody else's gods and that kind of makes me God and There is no God that's going to deliver you from my hands if you don't bow down. And what is amazing about these men is they were prepared to die instead of serving and bowing down to a lie. All they had to do to survive was just bow down. Think about all those tens of thousands of people there that day, all of them bowing down. The conversations that probably went on in hushed voices in the middle of this thing when the music started to play, like man, why are we even here? This is the dumbest thing. I can't believe we gotta do this. Just shut up and do it if you wanna live. Okay. See, most people will just try to survive whatever it takes to live. Even if it means bow down to a lie and live for a lie. Did you know that 300 million Americans can all believe a lie, but it doesn't make it the truth? You have thousands of people here now all bow down to a lie, but it did not make it the truth. You have three Hebrews who will not bow down and go along with the lie. They're not going to fake their way through it. No, here's the reality. This is what we know. A follower of the true and living God would rather die for the truth than live for a lie. And this is the DNA in our spiritual family tree. This is the early days of Christianity. You've heard the cliche, history repeats itself. Yes, it does. You understand that early Christians were martyred and persecuted mercilessly by Rome, not because they worshiped Jesus. The Romans were perfectly fine with a conquered people worshiping their gods if they would just worship the other gods. But you see, the early Christians would not worship any other god because they knew there's only one god The true and living God, and it was by law, once a year, if you lived in the Roman Empire, you had to go to the nearest town where there was a temple of Caesar, and you were to go into that temple, you didn't have to mean it, you just had to do it if you wanted to live, you were to take a pinch of incense from off the altar of Caesar, and you were to take that incense and sprinkle it on the altar of Caesar, and you were to say these words, Hail Caesar, Caesar is Lord. Yet the early Christians could not bring themselves to do it because it was the worship of a man. It was man's deification. Nebuchadnezzar is now demanding the worship of a man, man's deification. Same thing in Daniel 3 as it will be one day in the future in Revelation 13. And do you understand the early Christians would rather die than bow down to a lie? Even if it cost them their life. They were not gonna bow down just to survive. And church, we live at a time, in American society, where we've made this observation. We are no longer a Judeo-Christian civilization. We now live in a Babylonian society with a Babylonian worldview and a Babylonian set of moral values, which means what we believe as Christians is increasingly no longer mainstream. We're going to be forever swimming back upstream because we're no longer the home field advantage. No longer a Judeo-Christian civilization, which means... Just to survive, you're going to be asked or demanded to bow down to a lie. Even though you know it's a lie and not the truth. Lies are everywhere. Our society is going into captivity because of the lies of the enemy. These early Christians, like these Hebrews, would not bow down to a lie just to survive. You know why? Because they knew Philippians chapter 2, that there is one God and one resurrected Son of God. And it says in Philippians chapter 2, that God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him a name that is above every name that is named, that is the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, we will bow to Jesus and Jesus alone, and have no other. And these three Hebrews will not bow to a lie just to survive, you know why? Because we have this DNA in our family tree. We would rather die for the truth than live for a lie. And we're going to be facing things and decisions and complexities of 21st century American society that honestly, Christians that came before us never had to navigate. And I'm going to tell you, battles are fought before they're ever fought. Battles are won in one's heart and mind ahead of time. These three Hebrews had fought this battle ahead of time. They'd already won. They'd already decided what they were going to do. And today is the practical application for me and you. We're all going to walk through fires in life, the fiery trials of persecution, fiery trials of temptation, fiery trials of tribulation. There are fires we set for ourselves that we didn't have to, but there's going to be fires that you did not set for yourself that you still have to walk through. So when you do, I want to give you three things. Be faultless. These Hebrews were faultless. In other words, don't walk through fires you don't have to just because you made a dumb decision. I made some. I have told you about one. All right? We're going to suffer either way in life. This world is broken. It's cursed by sin. So if we're going to suffer, and we all will, let's suffer for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons. That's what these Hebrews are now doing. They're faultless in this situation. They did not cause it. And you can see it in the way they answer now. King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 16. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. This is so good. I mean, they weren't up there, you know, but I don't know what we're going to do. You know, they'd already made the decision, king. (laughs) We don't even have to think about this. In fact, we don't even need to go pray about this. We've already made our decision. We have no need to answer you in this. You know what they're thinking? Look, it's time to take a stand. Now listen, church, we cannot go to war over everything. Jesus said, be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. We need to be wise when we choose to take a stand, that we do it for the right reasons at the right time. I want you to notice something. These three Hebrews... They didn't take a stand when Nebuchadnezzar took away from them their Hebrew name, their godly name, and gave them a pagan name, a Babylonian name. They didn't take a stand then, but they're taking a stand now. Why would that be? I'll tell you why. Because in their mind, it don't matter what you call me. I know whose I am, and I know who I am. But now you've crossed the line, king. Now, I went to your Babylonian school. I learned all the Babylonian answers that aren't true, but I learned them anyway, I've served in your Babylonian government. I've served faithfully. We haven't led an insurrection. haven't led a rebellion. But, king, you've crossed the line. It's what Jesus said, to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, unto God's what is God's. They have rendered unto Caesar, Nebuchadnezzar, what was Nebuchadnezzar's, but now Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I want you to render unto me what is God's. Oh, no. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. We're faultless in this, king. We have no need to answer you in this, king. You know, it's exactly what Peter would say to that suffering church being persecuted for no other reason than they would not worship Caesar. They would only worship Jesus as the resurrected God of heaven. 1 Peter 3.17, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Did you know that sometimes it is the will of God that we suffer? See, in American society, we all have in our mind's eye kind of a John Wayne Jesus you know what I mean by that? Some of you never heard of John Wayne. <laughs> Kids these days. Hey, John Wayne always wins in the end. You understand what I'm saying? The good guys always win, there's always a happy ending, but do you understand in real life, sometimes the good guys don't win, sometimes, temporarily, the godly people don't win. We live at a time where righteousness is retreating and wickedness appears to be winning. So it was in the first century where martyrs for the Christian faith were being executed and crucified and imprisoned and fed to the lions in the Roman Colosseum. And you know what Peter's saying to that very church? Hey, check this out. Sometimes the godly don't win. Some of us are going to die. Be prepared to die for your faith. You're going to suffer either way, but suffer for doing right, not for doing wrong. Now, we need to come to terms with this fact that we're living in this Babylonian society, which means you will be the target of hostility if you choose to stand for what is holy. We need to just come to terms with this fact that not everyone's going to cheer for us As Christians that believe what Christians have always believed for 2,000 years, the historic tenets of the Christian faith have not changed. Our God never changes, Hebrews 13 and verse 5. These are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Society can change, culture can change, but our God has stayed the same, and 300 million Americans can suddenly embrace a lie, but it will never make it the truth. But we live at a time that if you stand for the truth, you'll be sometimes hated and disdained. You'll be the target of hostility simply for standing for what is holy. But sometimes, let me make this clear, sometimes there are people who think they're suffering for Jesus, and the truth is they're not suffering for Jesus, they're just suffering because they're a jerk. I'm not looking at anybody specifically. But Peter is saying, listen, if you're going to suffer, suffer for doing right, not for doing wrong. Don't suffer just because you're a jerk for Jesus obnoxious, want to beat your chest and make everybody think you're tough. No, no. suffer for the right reasons, see? But I'm trying to tell you, be prepared. If you're going to take a stand, and we're all called to take a stand, we live in a day of deception, distortion, and darkness, yet the Bible describes us as children of the light, not children of the night. The light does not run from the darkness. The light runs to the darkness and invades the darkness We're called to stand out, not blend in. And if you choose to stand out and stand up instead of bowing down and blending in, it's gonna cost you on some level. I want you to understand, 2 Timothy 3.12 is for every single one of us. Yes, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It may be soft persecution. What I mean by that is probably nobody's gonna throw you into a fiery furnace. Chances are nobody's actually gonna crucify you, as they did the early Christians, or throw you to the lions in a Colosseum, but there's going to be a cost. Not everyone's going to cheer for you. You choose to stand for what is holy, there's going to be animosity. The spirit that lives and works within you is a different spirit than the one that lives and works within the world. There's enmity, there's hostility. See, they don't hate you, they hate who's in you. Jesus said, you'll be hated for my name's sake. Tuesday is election day locally here. I don't know where you're watching from, but at least locally, it's local elections. School board, city council, We have eight or ten members of our church running for office right now. You know why I think that's important? Same reason Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were embedded as godly men in an ungodly government. Daniel was embedded as a godly man in an ungodly government. When you have godly people in an ungodly government, sometimes they can bring godly outcomes. But if all you have is ungodly people in government, you will always get ungodly outcomes. I'm so proud of the eight or 10 people I don't know that's running for office. They've stepped into the arena. Tuesday, you need to go vote. I'm tired of hearing Christians complain about what is and then they do nothing, sit down and say nothing. It's time to stand up and speak up instead of just sitting down and shutting up. Go vote on Tuesday. If you care about your school, go vote. If you care about your community, go vote. We need godly people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the arena of government. But I've talked to two or three. Let me tell you something. They've stepped in the arena. And this isn't even partisan politics. These local offices are not Republican or Democrat. You don't run as a Republican or Democrat. This isn't even partisan politics. No, But I'm telling you, they have received so much vitriol and hatred and hostility for doing nothing more than standing for what is godly. Like, I'm running for school board because I wanna get the pornography out of public school libraries. Who could be against that? Or I don't want my third grade son to have to choose his pronouns. I don't, I don't want a teacher to teach my son, who's a boy, that he might be a girl. I mean, just basic stuff. Like, Really, people are against that? Oh, when you stand for what is holy, you will be the recipient of animosity, hatred, hostility. We need to stand with each other as the body of Christ. Do it with humility. We're we're not here to hurt anybody. We're not angry. We're just going to stand for what is holy. We're going to stand for what is godly. But if you do, I promise not everyone's going to be cheering for you. I know personally. Listen, most of you are for me. I'm thankful. Most of you like your pastor. I like you too. (laughs) In fact, I love you guys. I'm not going to lie. I actually love you. I'm not trying to get mushy. Sorry if I'm getting syrupy. I really love you guys. Most of you love me too, but not everybody. we got to decide that's okay. If everyone is cheering for you, it could be you're not standing for what you ought to be. Because all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I got an email this week. Uh, this email came from somebody. I don't know who they are. I think they probably gave me a fake name. But they announced, Pastor Phil, you're a fraud. You're using the church to get rich. In fact, you're worth $3 million dollars. Now, this is what people say about pastors of large churches like ours. Oh, it's all about the money. A pastor's just using the church to get rich. I've kind of heard that line before. And he said, I'm going to turn you into the KGB and the CIA and the FBI. It was kind of that thing. You know, modot or whoever will listen. I, I, I'm calling everybody. And so I called my wife. I said, Krista, did you know that we're worth $3 million? Where are you stashing the money? Tell me. You're hiding it somewhere, I know. Because I can promise, like, I don't know for sure my net worth, but it ain't $3 million. I wish it were true. I wish it were true. But I thought to myself, this is where, where did this come from? So I actually Googled myself. Pastor Phil Hopper net worth. I did. I was just curious, like, where did this come from? This is weird. I had no idea. It took me immediately to a website. Did you know there's a website that has supposedly pastor's biographies that answers anything you want to know? So here it is. What is Pastor Phil Hopper's net worth? Pastor Phil Hopper's net worth is $3 million. This is an estimated net worth shared on December 2020. I don't know who shared it with them I didn't share it with them. I don't know where they get this information. I wish it were true. Here's another one. What is Pastor Phil Hopper's age? According to online sources, Pastor Phil Hopper was born on April the 9th, 1971. He's 49 years of age. I wish it were true. (laughs) So far, it's false, it's false. Like, I wish that were true and I wish that were true. Let me get this straight. You think you know my net worth, but you don't even know my birthday? (laughs) Seriously? Okay, here's one. Who is Pastor Phil Hopper's wife? Well, while we still look for the name of his wife, it's Krista. (laughs) While we still look for the name of his wife, we will like to tell you that Pastor Phil Hoppy... is married with a lovely family. Yes, false, false, true. By the way, that's a picture of my wife, I guess. I know who she is, she's a lovely lady, she's a global partner, a missionary, but that's not my wife, in case you were wondering. Now, I get stuff like this on occasion, check this out, this hurt, this cut really deep, it it, it was painful for exactly 36 and a half seconds. (laughs) Guess how I responded to this email? I didn't. I responded in the same way the Hebrews responded to Nebuchadnezzar, I have no need to answer you in this matter. Because in this situation, I'm flawless. No, I don't claim to be sinless, we're all sinful. We need Jesus, but in this, I'm flawless. I don't need to make a defense. You don't need to make a defense for yourself every time somebody criticizes you, comes after you, targets you for nothing more than being a Christian and being godly. They don't deserve a response. You don't need to answer them in this matter. God is your defender, God is your protector, God is your provider, and one day God alone will be your judge, and if you know Jesus, God has already judged your sin, he's placed it on him, you're a child of God, you are who you are because of whose you are. And nobody else can redefine that for you. Just make sure that we are genuinely walking in a way that isn't sinless, but you're flawless, like there is no reason, practically, seriously speaking, that anyone could bring against you any real accusation. Number two, be fearless. These Hebrews were flawless, and I want you to see, they were absolutely fearless. in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Look at their confidence. Our God is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. I want you to notice the confidence these men had as they looked at the most powerful man in the world that had in his hands the power of life and death, absolutely fearless. You see, their courage to live for God came from their confidence in God. See, when you are confident in God, you'll have the courage then to live for God and not be a chameleon Christian and just kind of change your colors depending on who you're around. That's how most people live. No, your colors are gonna stand out from the world around you as a Christian. You're gonna be different. And you're gonna have the courage to take a stand and not bow down because of your confidence in God. How confident are you in God? Listen, what keeps me going is I am absolutely, 100% convinced that God will perform everything he's promised. Promises delayed are not promises denied. It doesn't mean he's gonna do it all right now. These men knew today is the day they might die. They might not live. They might not survive. But they knew in the end they win If you're convinced in the end, God wins, and you're on God's side, then in the end you win. You can live fearless. There's nothing anybody can take from you. There's nothing anybody can do to you that does not first pass through the sovereign hands of a living, loving God. Sometimes it's the will of God that you suffer. But if you're in the will of God and you suffer, guess what Jesus said? In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. If you're in Christ, you're an overcomer even when you suffer. Sometimes we forget the end. We we, we forget that we have confidence in our God. These men had confidence in theirs. I don't know if you've heard this recently or not, But did you know that the University of Kansas, the Jayhawks are playing for a national title Monday night? Mike's not cheering. Like a true Mizzou fan, I hey, stand by your team. Respect. But some of us are cheering. So they've been playing all these highlight reels, you know, of the teams that are in the Final Four and kind of going back to the past. And I was on campus as a freshman at University of Kansas in 1988 when it was Danny Manning and the Miracles. They won a national title. They were the true Cinderella story. And they were showing clips from that national title game in 1988 as Kansas, who was not ranked nearly as high as Oklahoma that year, shouldn't have won. They lost twice to Oklahoma already that year. They're in the national title game, and it's back and forth. It's 50 to 50 at halftime. And I'm watching this, that I had watched this game years and years earlier in real time, and all of a sudden I realize like, there's an adrenaline dump going on, and I'm starting to get seized up inside. Like, what's gonna, what am I doing? I know how this game ends. I am confident that this game is gonna end and in the end we win, you know why? Because it already happened. What am I nervous about? Do you understand that we know in the end how this ends? And in the middle, you need to remind yourself because it looks like in the moment we're losing. Oh no, you're not losing, you're winning. In the end, you win, which means you can be fearless. You can't lose. There's nothing this world can take from you. And that is why you need to recognize 1 Peter 3, 13, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. You know why? Because Jesus said, blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake, for your reward is in heaven. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and In fear. That's what these Hebrews have done. They've sanctified the Lord God in their hearts. And so now they're giving a defense before the most powerful man in the world of the hope that is in them. Our hope is in God. Our God will deliver us. Our God is able to deliver us. But you can't have that hope if you haven't sanctified the Lord God in your heart, meaning set God apart in your heart. You give your heart away. The heart is the source of your life, not just literally metaphorically. And what that means is this. No one can take your life when you've already given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't take my life from me. You can't cancel me. Because my life belongs to Jesus, and my life is hid in Christ. See, when you live with that mindset, all of a sudden, you can start to be fearless. Fearless. Because there's nothing anybody can take from you. Where does fear come from? We fear what we might lose. Yet when you've already given it away to God, nobody can take anything from you. See, this is the meaning of Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I died with Christ. My life is in him. My life is not my own. Galatians 6.14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. you know what this means? You're dead to the world and the world is dead to you and the only time you start to live in fear is when you become alive but as long as you realize positionally in Christ I have died the world can't take nothing from me the world can't bring no heat on me when you show up tomorrow morning and you go to work and that boss doesn't like you and he starts breathing down your neck you just need to tell him you're dead to me (laughs) talk to the hand because my face ain't listening Okay, don't do that, please. And if you do, do not blame it on Pastor Phil. I was joking. You might think it, just don't say it. Do you understand? This needs to be a mentality. The world cannot bring any heat on me because I'm dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. I'm alive in Christ. And I may lose temporarily. Yeah, I might lose my job. I might lose this promotion. I might lose a friendship But in the end, I win. I can live fearless, flawless, and in the end, faithful. These Hebrews were faithful even unto death. The most important part of what they say Is next. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, most important words in this whole chapter, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Our God is able, and our God will, but even if he chooses not to, we still won't bow down. You can throw us into the fire furnace, but we will not bow down to a lie. Just to survive, we're going to stand for the truth. See, in American Christianity, we have this prosperity mentality that if I follow Jesus and I'm in the will of God, then I ought to be wealthy and healthy, skinny and pretty, and everything ought to be easy. Oh, no. Where do we get off thinking that? Christians before us have sailed through bloody seas, but we think we deserve beds of flower ease. No, he is the God of the if not. Even if he does not heal me of cancer, I'm still gonna follow him. Even if I do get COVID, I still will follow him. Even if I don't get that promotion, even if I do lose my job, I still will follow him. He is the God of the if not. You see, that is being flawless and fearless and faithful to the end. Faithful to the end. Until you have a faith worth dying for. You will never have a faith worth living for. And right, there's the problem for many Christians. We've never had to suffer anything. Our faith hasn't really been tested. Do you have a faith that will stand, or do you have a faith that will crumble and fold in the face of adversity, hostility, difficulty? It's now a very, very famous photo the man circled is a man known as August Landmesser. It was Germany 1936. He worked at a shipping dock. And the Germans were about to inaugurate one of their Nazi warships. Hitler had showed up this day for the inauguration. Tens of thousands of dock workers, men and women, were saluting Hitler. They were bowing down to the Nazi fascism but one man in the crowd stood there defiantly, arms folded. Can you imagine the peer pressure, the fear pressure? Everybody else is saluting, but I'm not going to. I'm not gonna bow down. There's a story behind this picture. He had actually joined the Nazi party in 1931 just to survive. That's what you do. Most people do. You wanna get on the winning side. That's what's happening in our society. There's a lot of people that know the lies, but they bow down just to survive. The cancel culture, get on the winning side. I know it's not true, but I need to keep my job. I'm going for a promotion. 1931, that's what he did. Nazis appear to be trending. I better become one. 1935, they kicked him out of the Nazi party. You know why? He'd fallen in love with and became engaged to marry a Jewish woman, had two children with her, the love of his life. She went off to a concentration camp, she died. He went to prison for two years for violating the Nuremberg Laws. He embarrassed the race. After getting out of prison, he was conscripted into the Nazi army, specifically a unit for criminals toward the end of the war or he fought on the eastern front, died missing in action in Croatia. Here is a man that died, why did he die? He didn't bow down to a lie, he chose instead to die. You know why? For love. The love of his life. The love of a bride. See, love is the greatest motivator in the world. Fear is a motivator, a powerful motivator, but there's a more powerful motivator and it's love. This is why the Apostle John would say in that same time as Peter, in the face of this horrible persecution of early Christianity, he would say these words in his letter called 1 John, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear see, when you love the truth and you love the Lord Jesus and Jesus defined love as loyalty, not some warm, fuzzy emotion, loyalty. When you love the truth and you love the Lord, you will live fearless instead of fearful. That was August Landmesser. Love for his bride is why he chose to die instead of saluting and bowing down to a lie. Do you understand that's the Lord Jesus? No one took his life from him. He willingly gave it. He laid down his life for the love of a bride. That's you and I. And church, I'm telling you today, we have a Savior who is worthy of our lives because we have a Savior who died for his bride. Jesus, I pray for every person right now under the sound of my voice, wherever they're watching, listening, and worshiping from. Wherever you are right now, there's an area of your life for which you need to stand. And it's a fearful thing because you know it might cost you. You might have to walk through the fire of doing what is right not because you did anything wrong, maybe a relationship, friendship, a conversation you need to have, situation at work, era of your life for which you've compromised. You've bowed and you've bent, you've buckled, but today is a day to stand. If that's your situation today, wherever you are in the world, living room, another campus right here in this Lee Summit Auditorium, I'm just gonna ask you right now to stand to your feet. All I wanna do is pray for you right now. Just stand up time to take a stand right now. If you can't stand here, you have no chance of standing anywhere. Just stand to your feet. Your God and Savior is so pleased, so proud of his son, his daughter. He's going to give you the wisdom in the days ahead to navigate the situation. He's going to give you the boldness and the Holy Spirit. Boldness coupled with gentleness to take a stand. Jesus, you see these men and women on their feet. I pray blessing over them that, God, your gracious hand would be upon them that as so many others have done that came before us that we would accept the mantle and take the baton of suffering for your name, suffering for your fame, whatever the cost, whatever the price. We believe the prize will be worth the price. And God, I pray your gracious hand be upon these men and women, your protection, your provision, your wisdom. As they stand today in this auditorium, I pray that they would leave here today and take a stand for which you've called them to And if it costs them their life, I pray that they would remember that no one can take anything from them, this side of heaven, when they've already given it all away to you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you give Jesus the glory with me today? Praise him, would you? Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at LS.